0: Paul says to live out the Christian life is to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, in the middle of this letter, there's a hymn. Some call it a poem. It's a poem about the identity of Jesus and what he's done for us, that he who is in very nature God, Jesus, did not consider equality with God is something to be grasped, but he made himself Nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant being found in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul takes that theme at the center of the book and essentially says we are to live out our life as a pattern of Jesus' life. That Jesus didn't look to his own interests. He looked to the interest of others. And so as Christians, we do not look to our own interests Instead, we live a life looking to the interest of others. Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to use in his life. He didn't see his status as something to impress others with. Rather, what he did was he humbled himself. He set aside all the things that the world gave him as a place to stand upon, in a sense. And instead of holding on to those things and using them for his benefit, he set them down and he became a servant. Now, the challenge is that, in that is that For us, though we are not in the very nature God, we constantly grasp at being equal with God. Just like Adam in the Old Testament, uh, Adam was created in the image of God, but what he wanted was equality with God. He wanted to be God. And so when God said, trust me, Adam said, no, I'm going to trust myself. Well, Jesus, who was in the very nature God, he didn't hold on to that, use it for his own benefit, but rather he humbled himself And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul says we are to follow this pattern in life. Now in part, to do that, the main thing we need is we need to know Christ. The Christian life is not knowledge for the sake of knowledge, but rather faith. And the idea of faith is not just belief intellectually. Rather, the idea of faith actually has also the idea of faithfulness that when we believe in who Jesus is, it shows up in our life in action. That when we trust that he truly is who he says he is and he's done in us what he says he has done, that results in a new kind of life. And see, that's the pattern that Paul is setting out for us in this book. So as we jump into this, and uh, I really encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along, because what I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray in just a moment really for myself more than for you, but... As I go through this, I really want you to listen and allow the Spirit of God to use His Word. And when there's something that just strikes your heart, would you just write that down? Now, don't write in our Bible. That's in front of you, unless you want to take that home, and that's a gift to you. Uh, write it down, because as we go through this, we often don't have an opportunity to hear an argument from God, to hear a message from God from beginning to end. And so as I, get, I start going through this, I really want to ask you through the power of the Spirit to listen. What is the Spirit of God saying to me? What does He want me to hear? And when you hear that, you need to write it down. And I'd love to hear back from you. If you want to send me an email, my email address is jason at bergenpartchurch.org. I would love to hear back from you as to the verses or what God has kind of impressed upon your heart as we've gone through this. Uh, that he is speaking to So would you take that opportunity? Would you grab a Bible? Would you turn on your phone? Follow along with me now. i got to warn you, the version of the Bible that I've memorized doesn't exist anymore. Okay, it's the old NIV. It's the 1984. You may have one, right? Some, yeah, some of you are still holding on to it. I, when they discontinued it, I went out and I bought 10 of these things uh, because I knew you couldn't get them anymore. But anyways, if you follow along with me and you say, you know, he got it wrong... No, I'm not quoting from the ESV or the new NIV. This is the old thing. So anyways, and in this, also understand my goal is not perfection. It's to allow the Spirit of God really to flow through this and to uh, speak to us. So something a little different. Can I pray for myself and pray for you as we walk through this together? Let me pray. Father, I thank, you that, I thank you that the work that we are to join you in is a work you've already begun, that he who began this good work is the one who is faithful to complete it. And so, Father, we merely join you in the work that you're already doing. We join you, Father, in recognizing the work you're already doing in our lives today. That, Father, through the Spirit, through the gospel, we have come alive to Christ. We have been born again. We've been born anew. And so it's the Spirit and the Word of God that is working in us to change us and transform us. And so, Lord, as your Word goes forth, I ask in Jesus' name for for the receptivity of the heart, the humility of the heart, that, Father, you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. In Jesus' name, give grace to the humble. Father, allow my fears, my weaknesses, uh, to be submitted to your power so the power of Christ may dwell in this moment in a way that results in life and truth and transformation. Father, thank you for your word and the truth that you've given us. Guide us in this time in Jesus' name. Spirit speak. Amen. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You know, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending And confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affections of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight in order that you may discern what is best and be pure and blameless. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. For it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. For some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. See, the latter, they do so in love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble from me while I'm in chains. But listen, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And see, because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So that through my being with you, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. But whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. For this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. If, hey, thanks for the help, you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, Much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See, do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you might become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life, that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the service and sacrifice coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now I hope, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon. That I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. For I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks after their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary for me to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. He is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but see, God had mercy on him, and And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you, that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him. For he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. So finally... Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake? I've lost all things. I've lost all things. And I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. You see, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. My brothers, I forgot this last line because this is where I was going to end. I do not consider all that stuff, but whatever Christ Jesus, amen, that's it. (laughs) I got lost at the end. Thank you for the help. I appreciate that. Okay, hey, why are we doing this? What I want to do is I want you to turn to Philippians 3, 1. And this is the inspiration. In Philippians 3, 1, he says, finally, my brothers. Now, he's not saying finally because the book's about to end, right? There's two more chapters, so it's kind of a long finally. Finally. But he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 4, 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say it again, rejoice. One of the disciplines in the Christian life that enables us to walk with confidence and to walk out the pattern of the gospel is to learn to rejoice. Now, let me warn you, rejoicing is not about happiness. It's not about simply a feeling. It's not just a mental reality Rejoicing is a discipline. What I just displayed for you today, hopefully effectively, is the discipline that is required to rejoice in the Lord. Now, what do I mean? Rejoicing, it is a discipline. It's something that requires effort. It's something that requires working out in the moment a desire and an intentionality instead of focusing on my circumstances, To focus on the Lord and who He is and what He's done in my life. Throughout this letter, what Paul's dealing with is a a terrible situation in which he's in prison. He doesn't know if his life is going to end in execution or if he's going to be released. He hopes he's going to be released, but he's walking through circumstance after circumstance. And then the church is going through persecution and struggle and difficulty because they're in a Roman colony proclaiming that Caesar is not Lord. And when you're in a Roman colony proclaiming Caesar isn't Lord, but rather the Messiah, Jesus, the King is Lord, you're going to be persecuted. And Paul says, hey, don't be afraid of them. Rather, when fear comes, you know what you need to do? Rejoice. What does that mean? You have to have the discipline of rejoicing in the struggles of life so that Christ becomes more real than the fears and the challenges that you're facing. You've got to learn the discipline of rejoicing. You know, it's interesting when you look at the life of Jesus, this is what I find fascinating about him, many things. But in that moments of difficulty, when hardship comes, whether he's in the temptation in the wilderness or when he's on the cross, he bleeds scripture. Because listen, when you're in a struggle and a hardship, you're not going to have the time to say, Hey, well, what was that verse again? Which chapter was that? Was that chapter four? You're not going to have the time in difficulty when you're tempted, but when Jesus was tempted and Satan came alongside, he said, listen, instead of responding to him and arguing, he says, I'm going to follow every word that comes from the mouth of God. God. Do not tempt the Lord your God. Every single time he was tempted, he returned those temptations with strength, which means from God's word. And then when he was on the cross, when he was in suffering, he quotes from Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. That wasn't natural to the human side of Jesus. The reason those words were there is because he had worked to put them there. When it comes to rejoicing, we have to work. It is a discipline. If you think it comes naturally, it does not. It is something we have to work at. So that's the first thing I want you to see. When it comes to rejoicing in the Lord and living out this life, this life that is a pattern of the gospel, we have to be disciplined. But second. We have to remember. We have to remember. Now, in the Psalms, here's something that's unique in the Psalms. Often the psalmist is talking to himself. It's kind of weird. You may not have noticed this before. But Psalm 42, uh, why so downcast, O my soul? Now, who is he speaking to? Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then he starts teaching, remembering. Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is not a prayer to God. This is rather self-talk. He's speaking to himself, and he's looking into his soul, and he's saying, why are you downcast? Remember, put your hope in God. Throughout the Psalms, they're reminding and reminding themselves of who God is and what he's done. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. The psalmist is saying, in this moment right now, Jason, you need to know the benefits of God. Jason, in this struggle, you need to hope in the Lord. You need to not set your hope on the things that you're looking for, but rather in this moment, you need to trust in him. You need to remind yourself of who he is. Now, let me give you an example of this. Remember. There's a story of Jesus, uh, and he's with his disciples. They're in the boat. They're terrified. This big storm has come up. They're struggling. They're afraid. They've forgotten who's with him. You with me on that? They're in a trial, and they're in a trial, and it's worse because they've forgotten the one who's with them, the one that's in the boat alongside them, and so the waves kick up, and Jesus calms the storm. And when Jesus responds and he looks at his disciples And this is in Luke chapter 8, verse 25, if you want to go back and look at it. Here's what he says to them. Listen to his words. Where is your faith? Notice, he's not saying, find some faith. Why don't you have more faith? Notice what he's asking. Where is your faith? Meaning, what are you looking to? What are you reminding yourself of? And he's standing right in front of them. He's saying, I am your faith faith. I am the object of your faith. And the reason you're afraid right now is you've forgotten I'm with you and you've forgotten who I am. How do you rejoice? You don't rejoice after sorrow and difficulty. You rejoice in sorrow and difficulty by reminding yourself of who God is. See, that's the practice of rejoicing. It's a discipline But it's also in that moment when you're going through those trials, speaking into your life and reminding yourself, this is who God is. This is what he's done for me. This is who I am in Christ. And as a result of that, here's how I'm going to move out into the world. It's discipline. It's remembering. But finally, it's treasuring. Rejoicing is about savoring and treasuring and meditating upon until God becomes real. You know, the benefit of scripture memory in my heart is often my heart and my mind are cold. Just as cold as yours is, okay? It's no different. I walk through challenges. Sometimes I try to pray. There's just nothing there. It seems blank. You ever been there? You start praying and all you got is static. Or sometimes it's not even static, just voices, right? Messages, things I got to do. The hardest thing about prayer and meditation is you've got to get past static. It's just like working out. It's like doing anything new, right? You've got to get the muscles for it. You've got to work past. As you begin to work past that, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. And part of the problem in the church is we don't spend the time to meditate. We don't spend the time to allow and to ruminate on God's word to such an extent that it's not ideas. It's truth and power that begins to saturate, humble, and empower the heart. We have to learn to treasure, and in treasuring, to make God more and more real to our lives. Let me just quickly show you what that looks like. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out his 72 disciples, right? Sends them out to cast out demons, to preach the gospel, and they come back and they're like, Jesus, what an amazing day. We cast out demons in your name and they're excited for what they've done. And, and Jesus encourages them. He said, That's great, guys, but here, let me warn you on something. Don't rejoice. That the demons are subject to you. He says, on their greatest day, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Rejoice that your name is engraved on the Father's heart. What's he saying? He's not saying that, hey, what you went out and did was bad. He's rejoicing that they had this opportunity. But he said, you know what? Tomorrow, you're probably going to face a demon. It's not going to get cast out. You're going to get your butt kicked, in a sense. And you're going to fail. And if you're going to be rejoicing in what you do and what you bring to the table and what you've accomplished, you're going to face stuff in life where that's not going to get you there because your accomplishments and your abilities are not enough. What I want you to do is on the good days, you rejoice in who you are because of what I have done, that your name is written in the book of life. You've got to rejoice in the truth of who you are and what Christ has done for you. Because on the good days, that's going to sustain you, but on the bad days, when those things we once relied upon, as Paul said, I'm not putting confidence in the flesh. My confidence with God isn't based on my obedience today or my obedience yesterday. it's based on Christ's obedience for me, that I belong to Him. And when we rejoice in what God has done and who He is and who we, who we, we are and, and because of that, that is the strength. That's the strength that melts the heart. It changes the way we see and allows us to move out into life with confidence. Not confidence in what we've done, but confidence in what he has done. Hey, the only thing I want to share with you is is let's begin to work. You don't have to memorize books of the Bible. If you want to learn to do that, I'd love to. It's actually not that difficult. I'm not that smart. And I am not that good at memorizing. It's actually a very, very simple process that I could teach you if you want to learn that. But this week, would we just whatever verse it is, whatever it is, would you take that time to allow that discipline of meditation, of allowing that discipline of remembering and allowing that discipline of savoring to be what captures our soul and drives us forward? You guys with me? Hey, thanks for being patient with me, like pray for us. Fathers, we're about to celebrate uh, communion. We come to this table because you welcome us. And that Lord Jesus. We come with so many weaknesses. I thank you for the words of Paul that he was not afraid of weakness because in weakness, the power of Christ can be displayed. So often in our world, Father, we're trying to portray perfection towards others. We're trying to take all those rough edges of our lives and just present ourselves in a picture that's not even real. But Christ, you've come in and you've transformed us and you continue to transform us and all the ugliness of life, the brokenness of life, Lord, as we surrender to you and we are humble to you, that's where your power, that's where your presence, your transformation unleashes itself in us, not simply in our competence, but, Father, as we surrender and depend upon you. And so in Jesus' name, as we come to the communion table today, would we set aside those things that we're trusting in? Father, maybe those things that we're relying upon and treasuring too much, the things of this world or the things we've accomplished, would we set them aside? And like a man finding treasure in a field, would we sell all we have by that field and just rejoice that we have Christ and we are in Christ? And Father, in that, we have, we have your spirit and presence with us. So as we celebrate this morning, Father, meet us here in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna invite those to come forward who's gonna be serving communion this morning. The way we do this is through a process called intinction as the Lord leads you Please come forward and they'll present the cup and they'll say this is, uh, actually present the, uh, the bread and they'll say this is Christ's body broken for you. And they'll present the cup and we take the bread and dip it in the cup and they'll say this is Christ's blood that is shed for you. We do this with an attitude of reflection, an attitude of seeking to uh, surrender our will to his. So when the, when the time is ready, when the spirit leads, please come forward and let's celebrate what God has done together. Oh, yes, thank you. And also, if you'd like to stay seated where you are, uh, Gerda's in the back, and if you raise your hand, she'll also come and bring those elements to you. Thank you,
1: Gerda. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your love and kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy, what heart could fathom such grace the God of ages step down from glory My living home So hallelujah Praise the one who sets me free Hallelujah Death has lost its grip on me You have broken every chain There's salvation in your name Jesus Christ my living hope. stand and sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. So turn Sing that again. Say, turn your.
0: to us, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Father, this week may it be the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the empowering, the filling love of God the Father and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that enables us, Lord, this week just simply to follow you, to trust you, to obey you. And Lord, in that...